The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. is Kyle Brown coming to you on the On the Farm podcast, your weekly prospect and dynasty podcast on the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. I have one of my main men on here, Andy Patton, joining me. How are you doing tonight, Andy? I am good. You know, this is the first time you and I have talked since, uh, talked on the podcast since the season started. And it's, I got to tell you, man, it's really nice to to have baseball to watch in April. We, we were robbed of that last year and it feels really good to be able to have some games on in the background uh, with the spring coming sp- spring weather hitting us over here in Seattle. Yeah. Likewise, man, in Colorado, I mean, we're about to get another little dump, you know, dusting of snow as, <laughs> uh, as is what happens in the spring here. So I was actually <laughs> kind of like shocked that they, that they did schedule so many games in Colorado at the beginning of the year. I was like, don't you know, it can just randomly snow three feet <laughs> in April is no problem. We're getting like 72 degrees this weekend here in Seattle, which is just unheard of in April. I can't believe it. So I'm, I'm thrilled to, to be able to watch some baseball in some really good weather. It'll, it'll go away. It'll start raining for like the, ne- the next month after that. But it'll be nice to have while we have it. Yeah. The, uh, I'm, I'm scheduled to head to Seattle to see my sister um, for the first time in a long time. And nice. apparently I'm going during the June gloom. And this is, this is what everyone says about like, Oh no, it'll be the June gloom in Seattle. And I just respond. I live in the sunniest place, literally in the States. So bring on all the overcast you want. Cause I am here for it. <laughs> that I is likely what you will get. <laughs> yeah. I just, I squint. If I don't, if I forget my sunglasses, it's like the worst day of all time <laughs> because the, the squinting is just out of control. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I'm excited to get to, uh, to get to Coors at some point here soon. Take the nephews, see what's up. There you see go. some real baseball. It's definitely nice to uh, to have box scores to check, to have fantasy rosters to set. I mean, it is it is super nice. And you know, I've already made only a handful of catastrophic, you know, mistakes <laughs> so far. I would say, you know, I got I got a few that I'm going to regret trying not to overreact to ten days. You know, throwing out ten trade offers immediately, <laughs> taking them down. You know, known as the schizophrenic person for sure in my league of just like oh. <laughs> What did he do five minutes ago compared to five minutes, you know, hence. Uh, so, yeah. I've had a pretty good start to my fantasy season. I'm in five leagues. Uh, I'm doing well in TGFBI. 
Uh, I'm in first place in two of my other leagues, second place in one of them. But then my fifth league is the Werf League, which is the Western Expanse Roto Roto Sea League, a league of industry people in the Pacific Northwest greater area, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, California. And I'm getting crushed in that league. And I think I counted today that of the players that I drafted, eight of them have gone on the injured list, which is just like, I don't know, like Eloy Jimenez, uh, Austin Hayes, Kevin Kiermeyer, Shogo Akiyama, uh, Mike Soroka on the pitching side. Like I just, it's like, what do you, like, it's a really deep league. So the outfielders available on the waiver wire are non-existent. So it's been, it's been a rough start for anybody who is paying attention to that league or in that league and thinks, man, I thought Andy was good at this. Just know, just know that I have been really destroyed by the injury bug to start this year. And I'll, I'll crawl back. I'll, uh, I'll eventually have at least like a capable lineup next time we set our lineups. But right now it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. The injuries are real, man. I yeah. barely, and then when I say barely, I mean, if it wasn't for a rainout that cost Mike Trout a game, and if it wasn't for uh, if it wasn't for Bryce Harper and Freddie Freeman deciding to hit home runs instead of taking mm-hmm. walks and hitting singles in the <laughs> Sunday night baseball game, I would have yeah. absolutely lost my opening round matchup in my in my home league. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just sneaked through. Yeah, I, I dodged. I dodged the no hitter by Joe Musgrove. I, I had Ketel Marte go down. I mm-hmm. had Mookie Betts start to just have that back thing. And then yep. Chris, I have Christian Yelich, Christian Yelich, you know, started to get a back thing on Saturday mm-hmm. and it was just crumbling around mm-hmm. me. And I was staring down the barrel of a night that had Trout, Harper and Freeman. And I was like, well, this lead is nice, but it's definitely going to evaporate. And I, yep. oh, I just, just, just sneaked Snuck it out. in there. <laughs> Very pleased with that, but yeah, the injuries injuries are real. Try not to freak out about it, but uh, yep. but yeah, it is what it is. And the uh, and you know, I'm I'm doing pretty well so far in my in my deeper dynasty leagues. I got I won I won my first matchup in my super deep thirty teamer, which was solid, and I'm hoping to be one of the better teams there. I also lost Eloy Jimenez there as well, mm-hmm. but I got Zach Gallon back this week, which is nice. Yeah, and I I feel like I have the depth to to do some damage and then you know hopefully get lucky at the end because it is a head to head league. So mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, you have been focusing on some deep dynasty prospects and deep dynasty play, and so you know you're coming out. With, uh, I think it's a weekly article over at Pitcherless, right, for the deep yep. stuff. Yeah, so it's a it's a dynasty deep dive is kind of what we titled it, and uh, Justin Paradis, our phenomenal graphics guy, uh, put together a nice piece, a nice graphic of a baseball field kind of floating in deep water it looks really nice um so that's uh that's going to be a weekly column that comes out on mondays uh the point of the article eventually is going to be to kind of focus on what i expect to be a large chunk of pop-up prospects uh because we did not have minor leagues last year uh i think there's going to be a lot of prospects who are kind of quietly developing behind the scenes with swing changes or pitch mix changes or what have you who we just we don't know about because they weren't at the alternate site or we don't have video of them at the alternate site and so when the minor league season starts, we're going to see these guys who were, were very much unheard of outside of the deepest, deepest fantasy prospect hounds uh, who are going to really shock a lot of people. And I'm really excited to get to kind of dig into those guys and talk about players who, you know, when I write about them are maybe very, very underutilized or under uh, rostered and even like deep fan tracks leagues uh, who I think might end up actually surprising people because they underwent some of those changes. But for now, since it's a weekly column and the minor leagues haven't started, I'm kind of focusing on other 
pockets of players that I think tend to get overlooked in fantasy circles a lot of the time, uh, just to kind of discuss a few players that I think like, hey, like I would roster that guy or I do roster that guy. And I think it's kind of surprising that he's only owned in 10, 12, 15% of leagues. So that's kind of the, the, the gist of those articles, at least for the first six weeks or so that I'm writing them before we get a chance to really start looking at some minor league numbers and some, some surprising pop-up guys. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely invaluable when it comes to this year, every year really, but this year, especially just because mm-hmm. some of the stuff, like you said, lurking behind the scenes that we just, we're not going to know about until we start to hear the crack of the bat, you know, yep. and, and the pop of the gloves. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting start to the minor league year. I'm, I'm very anxious to get games going so that we can, you know, get eyes on some of these top prospects and see what mm-hmm. they've been working on. And, you know, frankly, just, just get back to the minor leagues. Cause it's been, it's been tough. It definitely mm-hmm. has been, been tough. And, you know, we're seeing a little bit of that early on this year with, with some pop-up players already. Um, we'll get to a couple of those guys later, but uh, mm-hmm. who, who, who'd you write about last week? What was sort of your focus last week? Yeah. So the first article that I wrote was about Jemai Jones, uh, second base outfield prospect for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, longtime Los Angeles angels, farmhand guy, uh, second round pick back in 2015, Uh, And I think for me, like I picked him because he fits again, he kind of fits into a bucket of players that I tend to think get overlooked, uh, particularly in deeper leagues. I'll conclude this by saying that Jones isn't a guy that I think is like he's probably not going to be rostered in like a ton of leagues by the end of the year necessarily. Like he'd have to hit his like top end uh, potential for that to be the case. But I think he could be super useful in deeper formats and he's just not being rostered nearly enough in my mind. Uh, and he falls into a few buckets. He falls in the post type sleeper bucket. He was a guy who was a, a top 100 prospect for a couple of years. I think baseball America had him top 100 for a few years. And I know fan graphs and MLB pipeline had him top 100, at least before the 2018 season, a second round pick, like I said, for the angels in 2015. So a guy who had some pedigree and performed well in the lower levels of the minor leagues, and then just, kind of his performance really tanked towards the end of his minor league career in LA. Uh, And so that kind of turned people off. Uh, Anybody who's been in the minor leagues for four years and hasn't made the major leagues tends to turn people off. Uh, So he just kind of fell into that post-type sleeper category. And then he went to a new team. Uh, He was traded for straight up for Alex Cobb. So Cobb went over to the angels and Jemai Jones went over to the Baltimore Orioles. So traded to a team where he's got a lot more potential for playing time. Obviously the halos, their second base situation isn't super solidified either, but Baltimore's is worse. Uh, They've been starting Rio Ruiz over there. Who's actually looked okay, despite being a career third baseman, but isn't really a long-term solution there looking through the rest of their prospects. You know, they have a few shortstop prospects who could move over to the Keystone eventually, but there's really not a a short or a long-term plan at second base for the Orioles. So you have a guy who had this pedigree as a top 100 prospect is a super athlete. Everybody in his family played football. Um, He, his speed, his overall athleticism is through the roof. uh, And now is kind of has this path to, to better playing time. So those are kind of, the things that initially made me think, hey, Jones is a guy that I kind of want to dig into a little bit more and kind of see see if there's actually something here or if it's a little bit smoke and mirrors. And uh, I think it's a little bit of both. There's always, you know, his production hasn't been super great uh, in double A for the last two years in 2018 and 2019. It wasn't fantastic. Uh, and it's you can't just completely ignore that. But he also underwent a swing change or rather a a lot of swing changes, it seems, uh, throughout his minor league career. Uh, the reports from the Arizona Fall League in 2019 
where that the swing change seemed to really be working for him. He had kind of developed a, a longer swing that just wasn't getting to his contact point very well. And for a guy who has the speed that he has and just the natural power, just overall strength in his, his physicality, his body, uh, they just, they, they shortened his swing uh, in the article, if you guys take a look at it, uh, again, it's up at PitcherList right now. Uh, you can see that his old swing was really loopy. He had a big leg kick, uh, and he didn't seem like he had the ability to catch up to heat. Uh, and then in the second swing is a from one of his very brief major league appearances. He played in three games for the Angels in 2020, and it was him poking a base hit on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball from Dustin May. Now, the pitch was right over the plate, but I can tell you that looking at his old swing, I don't think that he would have caught up to that at all. So now he's got a much more compact swing. He's hit straight to contact. Um, he's got some power. He had a 39% hard hit rate in 2019. Uh, even though his numbers weren't great, he had a, he kind of suffered from a really bad BABIP. Uh, and I think you're, you know, you're looking at a guy who's got like 90 something percentile sprint speed, uh, who's got some natural thump in his bat, who's got a more contact oriented approach with his swing and is in Baltimore where there's not really any competition for that second base job. Uh, he, he had a chance to win it out of spring training and he hit really terrible in spring training. So again, it's one of those things that I don't just want to ignore that like that. <laughs> he could have won the job and he didn't, he didn't earn it. And they ended up giving it to a converted third baseman. So there's something to be said for that. And yes, maybe Richie Martin develops and becomes a second base guy. Maybe they move Gunnar Henderson over there in the future. Uh, but for now, I think there's a reasonable chance that if Jones shows anything uh, at the alternate site or in AAA, if the team ends up waiting that long before they call him up, uh, he could he could really get this job and run with it. And he's played all three outfield spots uh, in the minor leagues as well. So he has some versatility there. Uh, and I think, you know, in the AL East, anybody who has some natural power in their swing is going to get a benefit just because you're playing at Camden Yards or the Rogers Center or Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. And so he's going to just kind of luck into some home runs that way. Uh, if Baltimore lets him run, I think he has the ability to steal 10 to 15, maybe even 20 bases a year. Uh, he stole a lot early in his career, but again, that was against, you know, rookie level or A level catching. So not necessarily as indicative of, maybe what he's going to do at the major league level. But I think there's a, a reasonable chance that we're looking at a guy who's a 15-15 type guy or 12-12 and 12 type guy with decent batting average. And that's not the sexiest thing in the world. That's not like everybody's going to own him even in 12-teamers type of thing. But if you're in a deeper dynasty league, uh, you know, a 30-teamer or a, you know, even 16-18-teamers, I'd absolutely think about having Jemai Jones uh, on my minor league slots or just on my bench in general, depending on your format, because I think there's uh, like the, the floor is fairly low, but I think even then, like he's going to be a utility infielder probably at worst, like just because of his ability to play multiple positions and his overall athleticism. And I think the chances of him being a low end regular at second base are, are honestly pretty high. And so it was, it was fun to get a chance to kind of look at him and, and dive into the swing change and all the other stuff that he's gone through and kind of come out thinking like, yeah, this, this is a guy that I would be pretty comfortable with in, in those deeper leagues or those AL only style formats. For sure. The, the swing change game can be real interesting because it's, mm -hmm. you know, the angels are known to be one of those organizations that uh, gets players to mess around with their swing. If they think mm -hmm. that, you know, and they have a lot of, they tend, they also, Maybe it's, I'm not sure, you know, cause and effect here, but they also tend to, the Angels seem to be attracted to the natural athlete yeah. type of player, you know, the Jordan Adams, the Joe Adele, you know, all mm -hmm. those 
all those guys, you know, even, uh, <clears throat> uh, who am I thinking of Trent DeVoe, you know, yeah. it, there's there, they, they definitely seem to like starting with a base of athleticism first and sort mm-hmm. of building up from there. And that can go super well. Um, obviously athleticism is not a bad thing, but mm-hmm. it can, it can also lead to, you know, the rawness and something that I see in, in Jones that you know, I don't necessarily see in some of the other ones, they also changed the swing of Jared Walsh to great effect. So, yeah. you know, it can go super well uh, when you, when you start tinkering around and something I see in Jones, which is nice, which you don't always see with the natural athlete profile is pretty early on, at least statistically speaking, mm-hmm. he seems to be able to, his approach is solid in the sense yeah. of his, his walk rate is above average and increases as he's getting older. His strikeout rate is not sky high. There's a couple of spikes in there. And I mean, yeah, the, the speed is obvious and he was able to, to nab, you know, like you said, it was, some of it was against lower level, but you know, 2018, he stole 11 bases in, in 48 games at double a. So you're starting to get mm-hmm. into decent catcher territory there when it comes to, when it comes to speed. So and, you know, the, the floor might be a little bit low, but I always like if I'm going to be messing around with with some sort of deeper player mm-hmm. like this, I definitely like a walk rate over 10 percent and a K rate under 20 percent as yeah. sort of a baseline. And if the swing change is geared towards making more contact and he's already coming with natural athleticism. And the contact abilities from the minor leagues, it's not necessarily something he has to learn like some other, like some other players do with sort of the natural athleticism and the big power. So the foundation is there. And if all that it takes to unlock it is the swing, that's fantastic. And maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, with, you know, and I, I think it's probably a positive move for him to go from Los Angeles to Baltimore for all the reasons you mentioned about the, the, the ballpark and stuff, but you know, Baltimore is one of those organizations on the rise for me in terms of, okay, they lived in this world where, because they disagreed with labor laws, they decided not to sign players internationally. And uh, they were trying to sign some free agents here and there that didn't go well, but it just, it just seems like they, with all that's happening that you're seeing with Grace Rodriguez and DL hall, and even, mm-hmm. you know, even a guy like coming up this year, like Zimmerman and, uh, and you got Michael Bauman in the, in the minor leagues. And yeah. I, I like what they did with Henderson, you know, he, Henderson's one of those prospects that I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he actually does. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, when he's, when he's able to put his newfound getting to his massive power and crazy launch angle and exit velocity stuff into real time games, that's going to be huge. Anyway. I like the move from Baltimore because there's a heck of a lot of opportunity in Baltimore. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you touched on the the plate discipline, which I kind of didn't really mention, but I, I do think is a strong suit of his. He's, he's posted good walk rates throughout the minor leagues. Um, like you said, it's, it's gotten up as he's gone to higher levels. So certainly something that I think could be a positive factor for him as well. And, the, the swing change helped him make more contact, but making contact wasn't really a huge issue for him. Uh, he's only posted one season with a strikeout rate above 23%. And that was at double a in those 48 games. And it was only 24%. He struck out 28% of the time in the major leagues, but that was literally three games. So we're not going to count that. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, he he's maybe not going to be a huge over the fence pop guy. Like I don't think he's going to be a 20, 25 home run guy necessarily, but um, he makes enough contact. He has enough uh, oomph behind his swing and enough speed that I think you're going to look at a guy with a lot of doubles, um, potentially some triples in there as well, and enough over the fence pop to to at least stay relevant. And 
you touched on it with Baltimore. I do think they've been doing some interesting things with a lot of their their players. You know, I mean, Ryan Mountcastle was a really good prospect when they drafted him initially, but uh, his contact rates have been really good, especially for a guy who uh, is built like a power hitter and does, you know, hit for a lot of power. He's also been able to maintain a lot of good contact rates for uh, for a guy his size as well. So I think this is a good organization for Jones to really kind of develop into the kind of guy that I think he's capable of being. Uh, that, you know, low end regular who does a little bit of everything, uh, some power, some speed, some decent average. Um, he's probably more of an OBP play um, for those who are really thinking about rostering him in, in dynasty leagues. Uh, if you if you count batting average, I'm not as confident he's going to help you out there. He hasn't proven to be super good in that realm, but a guy who hits 260 with like a 335, 340 OBP uh, doesn't seem out of the question. And if he's getting double digit home runs and steals, uh, those deeper fantasy formats, that's a, that's a guy you absolutely want to have on your roster, especially if he has second base and outfield eligibility. You know, the, the versatility doesn't only help him get at bats at the major league level, but it helps uh, helps to make him more rosterable in fantasy formats as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyone getting over 10 steals per year with a decent on-base percentage, you can play multiple positions. Yep. Yeah, that's going to have value. Probably. Sign me up. Yeah, sign me up. That's going to have value 16 teams and above, I'd say, you know, mm-hmm. sort of depending on your categories, all those caveats, what have you, but you know, Mm -hmm. that's steals are getting harder and harder to find. And again, Baltimore's probably an organization that for the next couple of years, at the very least green light kid run. What are we, let's have some fun. Let's see what we got here. It's not going to be like a, you know, we need to protect everything. And yeah, that just seems to be the MO. So I think it's a good, it's a good deeper stash. And it seems like it was a good trade for both in the sense of Cobb's doing well in Los Angeles. They desperately needed more pitching. And uh, yeah, Baltimore needs some, some answers at second base and just, they need to stack talent, you know, and, and uh, he's got, he's got that. He hasn't played in, in AAA, so we'll see what he does to start mm-hmm. the year and see if he can hit his way on. But if he can hit his way even a little bit, you know, Baltimore, give him a shot. So yep. someone to keep on your radar in the deeper formats. Absolutely. Cause it's there. He can, he can, he can strike with the iron saw and take it. So, um, you know, while we're while we're while we're talking about uh, organizations before we get to our next guy you know there's there's a couple of organizations out there uh, and one of them is actually near and dear to your heart mm-hmm. that have you know I'm sort of curious to pick your brain a little bit on how we as armchair evaluators are supposed to understand an organization's strengths and weaknesses when it comes to developing certain types of players or developing players at all, or making appropriate changes for pitchers or hitters. You know, one of those, one of those organizations is Seattle. And you mentioned it when the last time we talked in the pod about, about gas camp. And I'm just sort of curious as to, you know, I'm thinking just sort of painting with broad strokes. Seattle's been able to get a lot out of uh, a lot out of their pitching prospects and hitting prospects for sure. But I think they've been able to, to turn, you know, copper into gold is so to speak with, uh, with some of their pitching prospects. And then you have organizations like the twins that seem to be really adept at getting the most out of their weak fielding, large man hitting guys. <laughs> yep. And they seem to be, uh, you know, attracted to a certain kind of prospect and are good at developing them. Obviously you have the Cleveland pitching factory, which has turned out, you know, incredible pitcher after incredible pitcher. Uh, and, you know, and then, and then it goes the other way where you're talking about Los Angeles angels, where, they, they seem to like a certain type, but then they don't seem to be able to get the most out of it. So I guess, I, you know, because you're a, you're a Seattle man, I'm just curious, what do you know about gas camp? And when people say that, 
you know, what does that mean for, for someone who is thinking about, okay, how do I truly evaluate Emerson Hancock in a year where I don't have any stats, but I know he's going into, and all I have is college video and what have you, but I know he's going into gas camp this year. You know, so give me, give me a little bit on that. I'm curious as to your take on sort of the Seattle way of doing things as prospects go. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I would love to be able to do like a huge research project and maybe it's already out there. Maybe other people are working on it to just look like organization by organization, because I think we can, as like amateur prospect evaluators, we can kind of pick up certain things that certain organizations either look for in their draft picks or seem to develop well. And obviously the smartest organizations are the ones that know what they develop well, and then they go target players who fit that demographic, who they think that they can you know, make the changes that they want to make to. And this is what the Mariners have done extremely well, but it's not just them. You know, Milwaukee, we'll talk about this in a minute, but Milwaukee seems to develop relief aces really well. So they go after players that seem to fit that bill. Uh, Cleveland develops pitching extremely well, and they go after uh, oftentimes kind of softer tossing pitchers who have really good stuff uh, with the Aaron Savalis and Shane Bieber and, you know, Joey Cantillo and Ethan Hankins, who are prospects in that system currently. Um, Tampa Bay has a, has a specific type of player that they seem to covet and have done a really good job of developing. So it's, it's fascinating to me to see which teams are smart enough to kind of know which of those players that they uh, are really good at developing and then just go get them. And I, for the Mariners, I was critical of their decision to use their most recent three first round picks on kind of similar pitching archetypes like guys who looked vaguely similar Uh, obviously Hancock was from a big school which is a noticeable difference from Logan Gilbert and George Kirby who came from kind of smaller schools but all big right-handed college arms like they they clearly had a type but it's because their ability to develop these guys is top notch and you're afforded a luxury when you can draft pitching because you have a Jared Kelenic in your system because the Mets gave him to you and you have a Julio Rodriguez and Noel V. Marte in your system uh, I mean, obviously, that's an advantage that they have where they can focus on trying to to develop their pitching organically. But but Seattle's gas camp is an extraordinary thing that they've been doing for the last two years that has helped not just those big names. Obviously, we'll talk about them more because they're the most notable from a dynasty perspective and just from a, a baseball perspective. But, you know, a, a huge part of this has been like the development of a LeJay Newsom or Sam Delaplane or Reggie McLean was a guy who was prominently featured in an article about what this program does. And uh, for, for longer articles, I'll just shout them out. The Athletic did an article about it. Baseball America did a really, really, really good article about it. Shannon Dreyer at 710 ESPN here in Seattle did an article about it. So there's tons of information out there about what this is um, and some kind of insider information. They're not giving away a ton because why would they do that? It doesn't make sense to tell everybody all of their secrets. Uh, But the, the general gist is that they have a program in place that helps guys add velocity and add uh, a lot of times it adds spin or it adds different seam shifted wake movement and and things like that, that really help them uh, throw harder for the most part. Uh, They also are trying to change some mentalities around pitchers. Uh, They want guys to attack the zone, command the zone a little bit more. Uh, They've changed some of the way that these guys approach their off speed pitches. Uh, Again, LeJay Newsom was featured prominently in one of these articles because he had this idea of how he wanted to use his changeup. And when he came in, they said, no, we don't like the way that you're throwing your changeup. So they, they had him use it early in counts. They had to use him um, throwing it more as a strike instead of burying it in the dirt, things like that. Um, and so a lot of gas camp is 
at least the way the articles frame it is more of like trying to change pitchers mentality, which I think is true. But I also think is definitely what you would tell reporters you're doing as opposed to saying a lot of the specific workouts and the specific things, because, again, you're not you're not going to give that information away for free. So I do think they're working with pitchers individually on a lot of the stuff. Um, the, the main thing that has come out of gas camp for these guys is way, way, way more strikeouts. Uh, in 2019, the double A team, Seattle's double A team led the minors in strikeout to walk ratio while their high A team led the minors in overall strikeouts. They just had the most strikeouts of any team in the minor leagues. Uh, so clearly, clearly it's working. They are trying intentionally to strike out more hitters. They're not pitching to contact. They're not trying to get first pitch ground balls. They are trying to strike people out. They're changing their pitchers mentality around pounding the zone early and often throwing with more velocity, throwing with more spin and striking people out. And it's working. I mean, it is really working. The results haven't shown up in the major leagues a ton. Newsom was a guy who did make the major leagues. Didn't hasn't pitched exceptionally well. Uh, I, Justice Sheffield is one of their young prospects he wasn't in the system for a very long time because he came over from the Yankees before he made the major leagues. So hard to say how much of an impact it's had on him. Justin Dunn, I think is a guy who they've talked about some of the stuff they've done with him, but he's had a, a rather up and down start to his big league career, although he's looked pretty good this year. Uh, but I think you're really going to see it with the three first rounders, the, the Gilbert Kirby and Hancock. And I think what the Mariners did that was so smart is they went after guys particularly Kirby, I think he fits this bill more than the other guys who had incredible command. Like George Kirby's command is, is extraordinary. It's, it's, if you could give a 70 grade for command to a guy who hasn't thrown above low a, like this is the guy you would give it to. Like his, his ability to command the strike zone is, is top notch. And so for the Mariners, like we know we can add velo. We know we can change the, the way that you attack hitters. But command is hard to teach people. Like by the time you're 19, 20 years old, like you can improve on it. Don't get me wrong. But it's a lot easier to, to get a 19-year-old and figure out how to make him throw harder than it is to, to teach them how to command the zone. So they got a guy like Kirby who was throwing in the low 90s in college when he was at Elon uh, and just, you know, was pretty much didn't walk anybody in college. Uh, and they got him. And they now the most recent report that came out earlier today uh, while we're recording this, Kirby was 99. In, a, in an outing against other double A hitters, um, he threw two innings and was like, he hit 100, he sat 98, 99. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, and if you look at George Kirby, like some of the changes that he's undergone uh, are not just to his pitch mix or to how hard he throws the ball. He physically looks way different. He's gotten a lot stronger. Um, he's, he, he's, he's just changed his physique tremendously. And Sam Carlson is a 2017 uh, fifth round pick by the Mariners who has had a tremendous amount of uh, injury issues throughout his career, which has been unfortunate because I think he has the potential to be very good. But a, a recent image of him that I cropped up on, I think lookout landing tweeted it. Uh, he looks yoked too. Like he's got huge. So they're, they have <laughs> some kind of diet or exercise program. They have these guys on where they're getting a lot physically stronger. They're throwing harder. Uh, and so they're targeting guys who maybe weren't the hardest throwers in high school or college, but who had really good command. And they're adding that extra velo. They're adding that extra way of attacking. You know, they're teaching guys to, to throw up in the zone with four seamers. They've, uh, there was a couple of players they mentioned specifically where they abandoned two seamers uh, or abandoned cutters and wanted them to focus more on four seamers, which obviously is just naturally going to increase your velocity. 
Um, they did mention that they use weighted balls. They do a lot of long toss. Uh, they also do a lot of workouts where they just have the guy crow hop and throw the ball as hard as they possibly can without really worrying about where it goes. Uh, and the article kind of mentioned that they do that to help show these guys what they're capable of. So, you know, maybe a guy like Kirby or Carlson thought, hey, I, you know, I throw 90 to 92. And they said, okay, we'll take this ball, throw it as hard as you can. Let's see what happens. And then they hit 96. And they're oh, I can do that. And then they figured out, okay, well, let's harness that. Let's figure out a way where the natural command that you already have of your fastball, let's find a way where you keep that, but are starting to throw in the high 90s. And uh, thus far, their success rate, you know, again, we haven't seen that success translate to the big leagues yet. Um, but I'm really optimistic about Kirby. Uh, I'm very optimistic about Logan Gilbert, who's hit 97 a couple of times in offseason workouts, um, who I think will sit four or five, uh, which was not what he was doing in college. Gilbert also has command of all four of his pitches, which is incredible. So does Kirby. So you're looking at these two guys right here who have added velocity already, who have not seemed to lose command that we've seen again without minor leagues last year, our data on them is a little bit old, which is important to note. You know, if, if everybody in the Mariners system, all of a sudden their walk rate spikes, then maybe we have some issues with gas camp. But until that happens, we're kind of operating under the assumption that this is really seeming to, to help a lot of these guys. And Hancock, uh, again, we, we just don't know. He has been there. He has not been there as long. Uh, he also didn't quite fit the archetype because he already threw fairly hard in college. So, you know, I, I'm curious what exactly they'll do with him, uh, whether they will add a lot of velocity or whether it'll be more about just firming up his secondaries, but he's already a pretty complete pitcher. Um, he was a, you know, obviously a guy talked about going first overall in that draft before he slipped to sixth or whatever it was that the Mariners took him at. But um, yeah, I, I think that this system is, is really working. It's helping them develop a lot of relievers as well. Like I said, we're going to talk about Gilbert and Kirby and Hancock as being the primary beneficiaries of this program, assuming it works. But uh, there are a lot of guys who were 15, 18, 21st round picks who, you know, weren't looking like they were going to be major leaguers at all, who this program has helped them add enough velocity that now they're going to they're going to find their way into a major league bullpen. And that's something that that may not have happened otherwise. So really incredible program, uh, really fun to read about. I'd check out those articles if you can. Uh, for anybody who's interested, I, I'm always fascinated by when teams can seem to hone in on their best skill and, and capitalize on it. And um, for a lot of the, the issues that the Mariners have uh, at the top of their organization for a variety of reasons, uh, this has been something that they have been really strong at. And I'm thrilled to finally start seeing the results, hopefully as soon as, you know, uh, six weeks or so from now when, when maybe they'll give a, a shot to at least Logan Gilbert or maybe even a couple of those guys before the season's out. Absolutely, man. I, I am beyond excited to see, to see George Kirby, you know, do it against, uh, against some higher level competition and, and very soon, probably just because of that command, because it is mm -hmm. otherworldly, you know, in, uh, into the major leagues. And as you were, uh, waxing poetical about, uh, about the gas camp, I actually had a, a buddy send me a tweet from the Welsh today who was at the George oh, Kirby yep. game. Yeah. And he was, he's saying he's, you know, sitting, yeah, sitting 98 to hundred. Faced eight dudes, struck out six of them. Uh, Justin Justin Foscue apparently uh, tagged him for a ding dong, but mm -hmm. I mean, it was out of control. At the, that that level of gas with that level of command, for me, I know it's a little crazy. We haven't seen that much of him, but for me, George Kirby is my number one pitching prospect in baseball. There's a lot of great pitchers out there. I mean, and there's there's arguments to be made for many many guys ahead of him or right with him. 
but I do not see the command that I've seen from George Kirby or the rumors. And then you add the velocity and I'm not talking control. I'm talking command. Mm -hmm. So I have not seen that package in my, in my prospecting life. And I'm young to the prospecting game when it, when it comes to these things, but that to me is something that I really, you know, I was, I was, he was one of my favorite guys before adding the velocity, but with this velocity, I don't know, it, it really could get out of control, like just completely out of control. So I'm, I'm all in on, on what the Mariners are doing. I'm, I'm certainly all in on George Kirby. And yeah, I mean, I, I watched a, uh, when I, when I signed on with pitcher list, I did a little pitcher list at night situation with, uh, with Nick Pollock when he was going over a couple of starts and, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and checking out some pitchers. And one of the guys we checked out was Justin Dunn and he was, you know, throwing 89, yeah. throwing, throwing 90, maybe uh, tops. And, you know, now I've seen Justin Dunn early on this year, granted the results haven't been great yet, but I've seen Justin Dunn at 94. Yeah. yeah seen- he was 95, 96 early in the spring at points too. Yeah. So the, the gas camp is real. I think there are some more organizations out there that are finding ways to teach velocity gains as a, as a way to, you know, to, to getting some of the more out of their, out of their players. But obviously Seattle is a little bit ahead of everyone when it comes mm-hmm. to this whole thing. So yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly a, an organization to watch whenever. And I'm really curious, you know, and is it, it's LeJay Newsom? It's not LJ. I, I'm not sure to be honest with okay. you. Okay. I'm trying to get better at, at pronouncing yeah. prospects names. That's one that yeah, I have no idea exactly how to say it. I, I'll have to look it up on baseball uh, reference later because they do. That's a, if, you're, if you ever need to know how to pronounce someone's yep. name because you don't know what a symbol means or how it's supposed to be you know, said, hit up baseball reference. They usually have at the very least the last names that you can learn how to pronounce them right because you should try to. Um, but yeah, LJ, LJ Newsome, uh, he, was, he was someone that I, I was checking out before he came up just because the Again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I love control. I love command. I love, mm-hmm. I love dudes that can, that can operate with a killer changeup. And his minor league numbers were great. Hasn't mm-hmm. really worked out, you know, so far. But with, with gas camp, and you know, it's interesting what you say about just showing a guy what he is capable of. Right. That right there can really change the mentality that they're trying to get instill. It's not let me play within myself. It's let me get the most out of myself. Right. So. Those subtle changes and a, hey, a couple of ticks on the gun that can that can take confidence from sixty grade confidence to seventy grade confidence, right, whatever exactly. that means, right? You know, yeah. so that's uh, yeah, that's that's awesome, and I I definitely would check out all those articles if you're interested in why Seattle does what it does. Before uh, before we get on to our next thing, we are going to take a break and hear from uh, the show's sponsor. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show And we're back. So 
let's uh we've, we've talked about seattle oh you know what well before we get into the next thing i want to you mentioned justice sheffield and anytime the word sheffield is mentioned i have to talk about it because i'm a gary sheffield man through and through and i love justice sheffield i even love jordan sheffield but he's got a a, a tougher path pitching in colorado <laughs> right now and not being able to throw strikes two things that are very problematic when put together um so anyway uh, do you think putting you on the spot here, do you think justice Sheffield should have finished the first game of the double header today that the Seattle Mariners almost blew? Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I didn't watch, I was just tracking the game. Probably. I think whenever you have a, a double header, you want to try to save your bullpen as much as possible. I thought he was rolling, but you know what? It is what it is. Yeah, he was rolling. Um, I had it on, you know, to the side of me as I was doing my work, mm-hmm. he was at 77 pitches uh, the slider was working, uh, yeah. you know, and, and he did his, he did his thing where he, he limits some stuff, but he gave up one home run and he did look good after, you know, he's bouncing back after that first start. So yeah, I, uh, I was disappointed not to, uh, and of course I have him on, I have about hundred percent shares of justice Sheffield. <laughs> so I was just very disappointed to lose out on that seven game complete game. Um, which is a category in one of my leagues because we are hey, a bunch of go. psychos. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we will go to, from Seattle. And we will head to the middle of the country and check out Milwaukee, who, as you mentioned previously, has a pretty good track record for developing. I mean, hey, they've they've actually been developing some starters well and getting a lot mm-hmm. out of out of fastballs and, and how to use them and, and teasing a little bit more velocity and pitch mix with Corbin Burns, all that stuff. But the the reliever stuff I sort of wanted to uh, to, to zone in on a little bit um, because, you you know, and you have a guy that I believe you're writing about in the upcoming week's article mm-hmm. for Pitcher List. We all know about Josh Hader. We all know about Devin Williams. In my opinion, we will pretty soon know about Antoine Kelly because I think yep. unless the changeup really materializes, he's also looking like another person who might turn into sort of a power reliever. Um with uh, with what he can bring fastball wise and what Milwaukee might get out of it, but the guy you want to you're talking about uh, you're writing about next week is Drew Rasmussen. So why don't you give me a little bit on him and give me a little bit on the Milwaukee system in general? Yeah, well, I also would throw in Freddie Peralta, who's been phenomenal to start this season out of the bullpen as well. It's been crazy. Uh, Milwaukee, it's it's very interesting, and I don't have as much intel as I do on the Mariners, obviously on on what they're doing. But you touched on it, like. They seem to be really, really good at developing fastballs. <laughs> like, like that's that's a really strong point of what they're capable of doing, and they're they're not seeming to do as well with off-speed stuff. I've seen a lot of guys, Rasmussen included, we'll talk about it, where their secondary stuff has, in some cases, not only not improved but like like completely stalled out. And Rasmussen had was given marks like up to 50 grade on his changeup and the most recent stuff shows 30 grade. So I don't know what happened, but like they have a lot of guys who seem to just not really be able to develop their secondaries. And so what it's, what it's created is a lot of pitchers who were thought to be potential starting pitching options, including Hader, including Peralta, including Rasmussen. I'm not as I think Williams is kind of always thought of as a reliever, but I know all those other guys at one point or another were thought to be starters and they're just the secondary stuff isn't coming together. Williams is obviously an exception because his secondary stuff is phenomenal. Uh, and, and Peralta and Hayter have good secondary stuff. They just don't have multiple good secondaries. And I don't know whether it's just the type of player that they're trying to draft or go after, whether it's a weird coincidence or whether they really do just 
lack the developmental system to help these guys with some of their secondaries. I don't know all of the details there, but it seems like it's hard to imagine it's a coincidence that they have so many pitchers who seem very similar to each other. And, and Burns, Corbin Burns is obviously kind of disproven that he looks like a legitimate frontline ace starter, uh, top five fantasy pitcher type of stuff, the way he's been pitching this year, uh, which is top been five. Just just sneaking that in, just sneaking that top five in. I love it. I mean, it's hard to deny with the first couple starts, obviously really early in the year. Um, I'm a big Corbin Burns guy. I'm going to take a quick tangent because I like telling the story. Um, When I was a grad student at Seattle University, uh, there were, I I went to a lot of their baseball games. I work with their baseball team a little bit. And I would write down names of players. I I, I started the idea of writing down names of players who I saw, who I thought, hey, that guy looks pretty good. Uh, and I started it, and the first name that I wrote down was Corbin Burns. He was at St. Mary's, and he the like the first five pitches of the game were 93 mile an hour fastballs right on the black. And I was like, wow, you don't see a guy do that at this level. You know that we're talking mid major college baseball level. You know, in February in Seattle when it's 30 or 45 degrees out. So I was like, that is notable. I'm going to put him, put his name down in a note. And then I completely forgot about the note. Just just I never did it again. There were other guys that I saw that I thought were good and I just forgot about it. And then like a few years later, I saw the note and I was like, wait, this guy's good. Like this guy at that point, he was like a top 65 prospect in baseball. And, you know, he wasn't a I don't remember exactly where the Brewers took him in the draft, but he he wasn't expected to immediately be a top prospect. And then he shoved in the minor leagues and became a top prospect. And it was a very kind of surreal moment of like, I probably just got lucky that he just happened to be the name that I wrote down, but I was like, Oh, maybe I was onto something. And see how do you, uh, two years later, while I was shortly after I graduated, uh, I overlapped for one year with Tarek Skubal, who was at uh, Seattle U and he didn't look that good the year that I overlapped, but he obviously got really good in college and uh, was a ninth round pick by the Tigers and turned into, you know, one of their top prospects and a guy who's in their rotation. So Got really lucky with a couple of guys that I got to see while I was a grad student in college there. But um, the Brewers, it's just a, it's kind of a weird development thing. Like a lot of their pitching prospects, I'm not super thrilled about. I do like Kelly. Uh, I do think you're right. He looks much more like he's going to be Josh Hader than he's going to be David Price, which were the two comps that were put on him when he joined the Brewers as a second round pick. But Rasmussen's the guy that I want to talk about here. Um, also a Pacific Northwest college guy. He went to Oregon State. Um, he was really, really good at Oregon State. I didn't go see him in person, um, but I got to see a lot of his games on TV and heard a lot from people who went to the games and saw him. Uh, he was outstanding. He was really, really good while he was there. Uh, and then he got drafted by the Rays. He, he had Tommy John surgery and missed most of 2016 with Oregon State. He had Tommy John surgery. Then he pitched well towards the end of the year. The Rays drafted him 31st overall. So we're talking about a guy who was a first round pick by an organization that's really good at identifying talent. But unfortunately, his medicals didn't look good. They ultimately decided not to sign him. He went back to school and then ended up going under the knife and had Tommy John surgery again. So he never actually played for Oregon State after he got drafted by the Rays. But then the Brewers drafted him in the sixth round and signed him for like 130 k because they were like, hey, if this guy is healthy, like... (laughs) We're going to get ourselves a steal because he's first round talent, according to, you know, a a really good organization. Uh, And so far, it's turned out really good for Milwaukee. He he rose through. He rocketed up three levels uh, in the minor leagues in 2019. Uh, And then obviously we didn't get to see him in 2020 because of the pandemic. 
Um, we didn't get to see him in the minor leagues, excuse me. He did end up making his major league debut and was not particularly good um, and has not been particularly good this year either. But they made the decision, it seems, to give up on him as a starter. He, he began his minor league career as a starter. Like I said, the reports on his changeup are apparently that it's gotten worse. Um, but he is a fastball slider guy. And the move to the bullpen has had his fastball play up a lot. We're talking about a dude with like, I think he sat 97 and a half. Uh, he hit triple digits multiple times uh, in 2020 with the big league club. Uh, his spin rate was like 87th percentile. So he's got a nasty fastball, a ridiculous, hard, heavy, tons of movement fastball. And his slider is wicked. I mean, it is wicked. Just from an eye test perspective, it is a nasty, nasty pitch. And he pairs it so well with his fastball. I remember I posted a video thread a while ago that I will have to dig up at some point, particularly for this article, at least, um, that just shows a, a, a three-pitch at battery, fastball 99 at the letters, fastball 99 at the letters. And then the third pitch came out of his hand, looked exactly the same, and then just plummeted right off the face of the earth and the guy swung right through it. And it was a, some double a hitter. I was like, they just, they don't have a chance. <laughs> like there's no way that you can hit that. So um, another guy that again, with, with, for me, from a fantasy perspective, since this is a dynasty fantasy podcast, uh, I think there needs to be more research done on the efficacy of these kind of multi-inning, you know, not closers, but high strikeout relievers. And we've started to see them grow in popularity in part because less teams have secure closers. So you might as well get a guy who's going to give you really good ratios and might give you nine saves just by chance. Uh, and obviously in Milwaukee, it's tough because Rasmussen is like at best third in line for saves and probably fourth in line for saves realistically. So he's going to be tough to roster in leagues that only count saves. Um, he's probably a better fantasy asset in leagues that count saves plus holds uh, or leagues that count holds as a separate category or K per nine as a category. Um, and he's got some walk stuff. You know, if we're talking about a guy who's, you know, any, any of my articles in this, uh, this particular uh, column that I do are going to be guys who have some, some red flags. You know, if they, if they don't have any red flags, they're not, you know, available in 90 something percent of fan tracks leagues. Uh, but for Rasmussen, I think you're looking at a guy who totally fits the player archetype that the Brewers have successfully developed over the last five years. Uh, so there's little reason to believe that he won't develop similarly. His stuff is is comparable to those guys. You know, he doesn't have the secondary that Williams has in his changeup and his fastball isn't as good as haters. And that's not a knock on him. It's more of a fact that haters fastball and Williams changeup are two of the best pitches in baseball, but he's not that far behind uh, with the slider. That's filthy with the fastball. He's got a curveball that he can kind of get over the plate to. Uh, I think he'll probably throw that less and less now that he's a full-time reliever, but I've always liked Rasmussen. I liked him back in college. Uh, I, I think he fits what Milwaukee does best from a development standpoint. And I think he's, I, I think he's going to be really good. Uh, I'm not super confident it'll be right away. Like, I don't think he's going to turn it around and be Devin Williams in 2021 type of thing, but there's little doubt in my mind that he will be a above average multi-inning middle relief guy. And in certain fantasy formats that, that holds a lot of value. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's going to have more and more value. Like you said, I just think, you know, we're going to, we're going to hear of a lot more speaking of organizations that get a lot of other pitchers, 
we're going to hear a lot more stories in the coming years like TJ Antone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to hear a lot more stories of like, Hey, this guy's amazing. We're getting a bunch out of him. We're just not going to turn him into a, a six inning guy. We're going to be totally fine with him being a three inning guy, two inning guy multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's what it's going to be. And we'll have a couple of frontline starters, but we don't care about them getting to five innings necessarily. You know, the, the Astros are doing the thing where they're piggybacking four innings on four innings with, with, uh, with their starters in the minor leagues. And they're probably going to translate that to the major leagues when some of those guys come up. So yep. players like Rasmussen and, you know, hopefully we can get to a point in fantasy and there's, there's formats obviously where, you know, you don't live and die by the save and the hold as, as a way to get value mm-hmm. out of your relievers. A couple of the leagues that I play in is they just give a lot of value to strikeouts. And so mm-hmm. that is sort of a way to combat you know, the, the traditional way of playing fantasy and how it really devalues what is becoming on the, the actual major league game, a much more valuable position. You know, right. the reliever is not just a failed starter. The reliever is, and it's not just a, it's not just a righty lefty matchup play. It is a specialized weapon yep. in, a, in a lot of ways. And you were just going to see more and more of that, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing that's, that's sort of what uh, the White Sox are planning on doing right now with, at least for the time being with Kokchak and Crochet, mm-hmm. let them figure some stuff out, let them get comfortable. And if they turn into a five, six inning guy, great. If they end up being a three inning guy, that'll have a bunch of value. We'll work around that. And you know, that's what a Dallas Keuchel's for to start that game for them. So they can come in and, and just slam the door for a couple innings. Yeah. Well, and that's what like, like to, to tangent on to a completely different player. Uh, that's what was kind of like, I had a weird emotional response to Luis Patino going to the Rays because it really fits what I think Luis Patino is going to be really good at as a major league pitcher, which is like three to four innings of like filth and dominance. I don't know that he can withstand five or six or seven innings. And again, he's really young, so maybe he can. Um, but it, I think the Rays are a really good organization for getting the best out of Luis Patino, but it absolutely tanks his fancy value in the majority of formats. I own him in an AL only dynasty league. I picked him up this year uh, in our like, in our draft that we have with players who came over from the NL and I'm really happy that I roster him, but it's a quality start league. And I'm like, he's really not going to be very valuable, which is really unfortunate because he's very talented. Um, but it's like the, the best case scenario for Patino uh, in this format, and it does count holds, which is helpful if he becomes like a, a multi-inning weapon, but he's more likely going to be either a starter who only goes four or five or an, you know, the guy who follows an opener who goes four or five. And it's like, that doesn't help at all in fantasy. And that sucks because he's a really valuable real life baseball player. He's a fun player to roster in fantasy leagues. And it's just like, like leagues are not set up to properly value those players relative to what their actual value is as major leaguers. Uh, And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that, that until league formats dramatically change, which again, there are leagues out there that are different. You can find them. Um, but for the most part, wins and quality starts, most leagues have one of those two. And guys like Patino just aren't going to have a lot of value. And it's going to impact guys like Kopech and Crochet uh, and maybe Rasmussen as well, where they're just not, they don't fit into a box that is typically useful in fantasy formats, even though they're quite useful in real baseball. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, hopefully fantasy baseball catches up a little bit because we're going to see more and more of these guys. Yep. And I like them and they're super valuable and they're fun and, they K a bunch of dudes and yeah, mm-hmm. they, they throw crazy, crazy gas. So 
that's uh that's definitely the case well thanks for everyone check out uh that article that is going to be dropping let's see, monday monday, monday yep. of next week yeah mm-hmm. check that out on uh, pitcherlist.com and you know give andy uh andy where are you at on twitter what's your twitter you can follow me at uh, andy Patton pnw andy Patton pnw i'm sure he'll post it there so get on that we are going to change gears just a little bit i want to talk about a couple of players that are young and making some waves at the major league level, a little bit out of nowhere for both a couple of different stories. And, you know, it's early in the season. We haven't had a lot of baseball in the last couple of years. So we need to figure out, are these guys the next Chris Shelton <laughs> or are they, you know, legitimate people that you need to, uh, to be focusing on. So the first one and uh, on another podcast, on the dynasty guru. I, said that I didn't think it was going to be very good. And all he's done since then is hit home runs and he hit another home run tonight. And that is Akil Badu, who uh, was a rule five pick this year for the Tigers coming from the twins. The twins decided that they guess they, they were done with him. And, you know, rule five is what it is. You, you're, you're definitely, I'm sure you don't want to give away rule five players, but right. hey, that's, that's part of the system. And, you know, the twins are stacked in the outfield, especially when it comes to hitting. So uh, Akil Badu hit his fourth home run tonight. Uh, he hit some home runs off weak pitchers. He hit some home runs off good pitchers like Aaron Savale. And, you know, he stole the base. He's got a triple. He seems to be putting a charge into the ball. And uh, he's, you know, they're, they're starting to more and more. And I mean, you know, it's, he, he was sort of a, you know, this happens to a lot of rule five guys, but I don't want, obviously he's not right. I mean, even this little stint is something he was, he was sort of a failed, maybe a flopped prospect or someone who didn't realize his full potential. And obviously the major league team had decided he wasn't worth protecting at the very least. So that, that tells you something right there about what the twins felt. And I guess, you know, I, I, the more I watch Badu, the more I watch him bat, the more I watch him sort of battle at the plate and get pitches to drive and continue to drive them the more that I am inclined to believe a little bit. And he, he's also going to chip in a few steals. It seems like, you know, when it comes to the fantasy side. So if Akil Badu turns into a little bit of what we were talking about, Jemai Jones is going to be, which is mm-hmm. de- decent home runs, decent walk rate, a uh, couple of steals tip chipped in, maybe, you know, not a terrible average. What's uh, right now are you in or out on Badu? What have you seen? What do you like? What do you not like? Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to like uh, for sure. What we've seen so far. I mean, uh, I, I identify as a Tigers fan in some capacity. I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so I've always been a Mariners fan, but my dad is from Detroit, so I kind of rooted for both teams. And I was intrigued when they made this move, when they picked him up. Uh, I remember hearing kind of whispers about but Badu back in like 2017, uh, shortly after he got drafted. He was a, a supplemental pick by the Twins, his 74th overall pick in the 2016 draft. So he had some pedigree. Like, you know, you don't get drafted that high unless, uh, you know, there's something interesting about you. Uh, but I, I kind of I remember hearing those rumblings. And then I think he just dealt with a lot of injuries in the minor leagues, I think was a big part of it. You know, he didn't he played 53 games in 2017. He only played 29 games in 2019. Uh, he did put together a full season in 2018 and a pretty good season. He had 11 home runs and 24 steals in single A. So it was a little surprising to see the Twins not protect him. Uh, maybe they were more concerned about the injury stuff. Maybe, like you said, they just thought that a guy who literally only had 29 games above high or at high A, he'd never played a double A. He'd only played 29 games at high A uh, and he was just 20 years old. I'm guessing they thought, you know what? There's no way somebody's going to take him in this draft and roster him for the entire year. It's not going to work. And 
they were wrong. I think it would be at this point, it would be very surprising if the Tigers returned him, he would have to really fall off a cliff. And while I don't think he's going to be this hot for the entire season, because that would be ridiculous. Um, I'm, I'm inclined to more or less buy into what we've seen out of Badu. He today's home run was a 450 foot bomb off of Zach Granke, who didn't look particularly good, but my word, 450 foot, uh, 109.3 exit velocity. That's the hardest of his career. Uh, so we're talking about a guy who can hit the ball 110 miles an hour. He's got 92nd percentile sprint speed. So, you know, when, when we talk about power speed, like, you know, I mentioned Jemai Jones as a power speed guy. He doesn't have the power or the speed <laughs> that, that Badu has. Um, and so this is a guy who could really, really light it up in both categories. Um, now, he also strikes out a ton. Uh, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that his major league profile is shielding from us right now. Uh, as of this conversation, he has struck out in, I guess he struck out in 24% of his plate appearances because he struck out today uh, as we're recording this. But and up until today, he was striking out in less than 20% of his at-bats, and that's not going to hold at all. He struck out 30% of the time in high A. Again, 29-game sample. But 30% of the time in high A, he's never hit at double A. He's never hit at triple A. He is not going to be a sub 20% strikeout guy at the major league level at all. He will probably settle in around 30 would be my guess. And I would love to be wrong. I would love for him to have developed some more contact skills, some better plate discipline, things like that. But even a look, you know, just a quick look under the hood here. Um, he's got a 38.3% O swing rate. Uh, and a 19% strikeout rate was what we had before today's game. Those, those don't line up. <laughs> if you're swinging and missing, if you're chasing out of the zone about 40% of the time, you're likely going to be striking out a lot more than 20% of the time. So we're going to see a strikeout rate come up probably to 30 something percent. Um, the walk rates I'm thinking will also rise. So that is a benefit for him. He's only walked about 4% of the time on the season so far. And again, all of this is with the caveat that it's a minute tiny, tiny sample size. So uh, his walk rates in the minor leagues were much better. He walked over 10% of the time for the most part. So we're probably going to see more walks. We're definitely going to see a lot more strikeouts. I think the power is pretty real. Uh, he's got, you know, four home runs through his first eight games. That's not a sustainable pace, but imagining him hitting 25 home runs this year, if he stays healthy is absolutely within the realm of possibilities borderline likely <laughs> that he could get up to 25 home runs uh, even in Comerica Park with a allegedly not as juiced baseball uh, speed I think is definitely there I mean again I I take minor league stolen base numbers with a pretty massive grain of salt there's a lot of indication that they don't necessarily uh, carry a lot of weight in terms of how good a guy is going to be at stealing base at the big league level but the Tigers have been more have been generally willing to let their guys run. Uh, he does have a 92nd percentile sprint speed. So 25 home runs, 10 steals with a 35% strikeout rate and maybe like a 240 batting average. Uh, if that's like you know, a lower end capability here, you're going to be really happy with that. Uh, and again, there, there's, a, there's a floor that's considerably lower than that. Like that's not his floor. That's probably closer to his ceiling than anything else. But I'm I'm in here. I'm I'm in for the most part. I didn't I I bid on him in two leagues and didn't get him. I didn't bid enough. Um, I didn't have a need for him in my my other leagues, so I don't end up didn't end up rostering him anywhere. But it wasn't for lack of faith necessarily. 
Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Um, the small part of me that still is a Tigers fan is definitely interested in seeing what he can do going forward. Uh, you're certainly not going to see a 370 batting average and a 22% strikeout rate. You, those those numbers are both going to get considerably worse, but the power and speed is definitely real, and, and I'm really intrigued to see what happens with him going forward. Yeah, I, I, I am as well. And I, you know, I've... He, uh, his, his contact percentage is a little, certainly a little bit low. Uh, hard hit mm-hmm. percentage is super high. His zone co- contact percentage isn't terrible. And, you know, something that I've seen in a couple of, uh, with a couple of his home runs already is that he's not just selling out for pull side power. You know, he's taken a couple of those home runs to the yeah. opposite field. And that to me, those, that's something that I certainly like to see, you know, when I'm, yeah. when I'm looking at early home run pop-up players, are they just sort of, you know, and there's an aspect where, yeah, we, we haven't seen Badu. Maybe the scouting reports on him were not deep, and, you know, they're going to get deeper now because he's, he's right. taking, taking everyone out of the ballpark at the moment. So there certainly will be a readjustment that the league makes on him. And, you know, that strikeout rate is destined to, as you say, you know, balloon. But it, that little stat line you gave, which is probably his ceiling, it seems relatively reasonable from where I sit now. Yeah. And he's in a situation where, you know, he's obviously hitting enough. The Tigers, you know, they, they played around with it a little bit. Maybe they were worried about platoon side. Can he actually hit? Yada, yada. They're going to keep playing if he keeps hitting home runs. And so the, the opportunity to, to sink or swim will be there. And I like that for prospects, for, for young guys who are trying to make a name for themselves. That, you know, is the opportunity there? Are they going to have a short leash? Is it going to be an up and down situation where they can't ever find a groove? And he's definitely already found the groove and he found it in spring training and he's carried it over now. So uh, yeah, the, uh, the fab on him is going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be hot. <laughs> I uh, yeah, well, we should, we shall, we shall see exactly how it materializes for the rest of the year, but the power and the speed should be there. Yeah. The walk rate, I agree should go up. He showed some pretty good walk rates uh, in the minor leagues. And so I think that 4.8% that he's doing right now, he's just having fun, man. He's just swinging for ding dongs out there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I definitely expect as the league readjusts, he also will do the same thing. And so, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see what he can put together this year in terms of power speed and heck, you know, a nice little, a nice little lucky BABIP here. And all of a sudden you got a, I don't know, 250 and then it's, hmm. We'll see what happens. I, 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 yeah, I'm inclined. I mean, I know last week I was a different person and I'm a different person every <laughs> second of every day, but yeah, I'm inclined to, to at least buy in on Badu, get him for free. If you can don't freak out and trade for him and, you know, you know, whatever, but right. He's more than likely for the, for guys who are just picking guys up. He's probably going to be free and available. Um, you know, if your fab ran yesterday, you might not have been able to get him or the day before you may mm-hmm. have had to pay up, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be a nice wait and see. And, Hey, if, uh, if it keeps going on for a month, maybe, uh, maybe, yeah, you can actually flip them for something that's a little bit more stable, consistent and known, but Hey, that's uh, that's just how I play the game. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, we have another guy that I want to talk about who is uh, similar, but different. Um, and that <laughs> is the, uh, that's the leadoff hitter for the Baltimore Orioles right now. And that is Cedric Mullins and the, uh, the intel that I have on Cedric Mullins, uh, which I heard on a athletic podcast, uh, I believe the fantasy baseball podcast. And I, I did some digging into it to sort of check out after I heard, but Cedric Mullins has been for his whole life, uh, a switch hitter. Mm-hmm. And the results in the minors were so, so, um, you know, he put together some decent, some decent years and he's another one of those guys that has, you know, it's not above average. It's not a killer walk rate, but it's, it's better. You know, it's eight, nine hovering pretty consistently. 
K percentage below 15% historically throughout most of his minor league career. And, you know, the Orioles sort of going back to swing changes, sort of going back to, to developing your players. They just had him abandoned switch hitting and mm-hmm. they had him just hit from the left side exclusively. And they were a little bit worried about that when it came to, you know, the lefty on lefty stuff. And I mean, it's early. We're talking about 11 at bats. So nobody freak out, mm-hmm. but he's hitting 545 against lefties from the left side. And he's, I mean, he's hitting everything right now. Cause it's, let's see what his actual style is. I mean, he is hitting a robust 459 <laughs> and the, the bad that comes in at a, at a, at a solid 593. So, you know, everyone, everyone, you know, tempered a little bit, but Mullins to me seems like the kind of guy, he doesn't have the power. He's definitely contact. He's definitely more of a classic leadoff hitter where he's going to put the ball in play. He's going to use his wheels, which are solid. Um, he's been able to, you know, get a decent max exit velo so far for sort of a leadoff hitter that, that isn't going to be hitting home runs at 106. Average exit velocity right now is 91.1. Launch angle is 14.5. It's decent. I mean, down the board, other than, you know, looking at that uh, 593 Babbitt and recognizing that that can't possibly sustain itself. Um, I, I, I like Mullins and I, I've been watching him a little bit more and more. I actually just picked him up in one of my leagues. And uh, just because at some point you just have to see if there's something, you know, it's like, all right, well, right. he keeps doing this every single day and I need a few steals and what have you. And yeah, the Orioles, I don't know, the Orioles are sneaky. I feel like they can, he, if he's leading off, I basically, I pay attention to any leadoff hitter. You know, I'm, I'm happy to roster Robbie Grossman for, for a couple of games if I need to walk at a steal because he's leading off for the Tigers. Right. They're very unsexy, but all leadoff hitters should be at the very least on your radar because they're going to get more bats than everyone else. And that's something. So, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I've seen on Cedric Mullins. I think it's really interesting when you, you have a player who's abandoned switch inning when they've done it for their entire career, you know, from a young age. And so, yeah, what have, uh, what have, what do you feel about Mullins over there in Baltimore? Yeah. I think, you know, when you're looking at these tiny game sample sizes, you know, for 10 games for Mullins, I think for a, for one thing, what you said is perfectly true. If you, if a guy's on a really big hot streak and you can pick him up for free, just do it. Like why, you know, why not? If they come back to earth, I mean, obviously don't drop somebody really good for them, but if you have the ability to, to use an extra roster spot on the guy who's tearing the cover off the ball to start the season, uh, absolutely do it. But I think it's also worth like looking into if there were any notable changes. And with Mullins, the first thing, you know, when you look him up, as you notice, you, you'll read somewhere, you listen to a podcast and hear it like you did, that he stops switch hitting. And for me, when a player who has not had major league success, which he really hadn't, makes a change and then you start to see, you know, makes a significant change, which this is a obviously very significant change and then starts to see positive results. Yeah. The, the 593 Babbitt's not going to hold, but I'm much more inclined to, to believe in a player's early season hot streak when there was some tangible difference that was made. Uh, and in this case, that makes me more inclined to like Mullins, you know, Tyler Naquin's had a really hot start to the season and a lot of people are talking about him but there isn't as much tangible differences there. Badu's a little bit different because he's a rookie and doesn't have any previous experience. But for a guy like Mullins, like you see a tangible difference that he made. You see that he's hitting leadoff. Uh, yes, the, part of that is because Austin Hayes is on the injured list. DJ Stewart was hurt as well. Um, I don't think Mullins is giving the job back to Austin Hayes. I'm not worried about that. Uh, it would take a pretty significant cratering of his performance uh, for, for Hayes to not or for Hayes to start over him. Hayes may end up starting somewhere else. Baltimore doesn't have a ton of depth in their outfield necessarily, but 
seeing Mullins make a noticeable change um, and seeing the results has me very, very interested. Uh, 10 game hit streak to start the year. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of over the fence power, but he's hit a ton of doubles. I think he's got extra base hits in four of his last five games or maybe five of his six last games, something like that. Uh, so again, probably not going to have a, you know, we're not looking at a 25 home run guy like you might have with Badu, but you're looking at a guy who's going to occasionally pop the ball over the fence. Uh, you know, he hit four in 20 and 45 games back in 2018. So he might, he might get 12, you know, maybe 15 uh, because he's in the AL East and that always helps those guys. Like I mentioned earlier with Jones, um, but you're rostering him mostly for, for steals and runs. And you talked about being a leadoff hitter and Baltimore's not the sexiest leadoff spot in the league, but also Trey Mancini's hitting very well. Ryan Mountcastle is hitting pretty well. Like they have some dudes, they got some thump in that lineup. And so there's a good opportunity for him to get plenty of runs uh, I think it's realistic to believe he could steal 20 bases uh, is like absolutely possible. He stole 20 bases in 51 games in double a in 2019. He stole 13 that same year in triple a. So that's, that's 33 bags in like 115 games at high levels of the minor leagues. Again, it's not the majors, but there's no reason he can't steal 20, 25 bases realistically if he stays healthy. So in the climate we're in right now where steals are so difficult to find. If you got a guy who's not going to kill you in the other categories and outside of power Mullins is, he's not going to kill you in batting average. He's maybe not a great on base percentage guy. I think his walk rate right now is considerably higher than it'll probably end up at. But if he can walk I don't know, seven and a half percent of the time, uh, give you a decent on base percentage, steal 25 bags, score a lot of runs, you don't really care that he does not hit in home runs. Like if, if he's your fifth outfielder, that is fantastic. Like that's extraordinary. So uh, these are two guys. Uh, normally the, is it legit kind of conversation after 10 games? A lot of the time, the answer is no. Um, with these two guys, I think there's a lot more reason to believe. Yes. Uh, certainly, you know, the, the, obviously the starts that both of them are off to are not sustainable. That's, I mean, anybody should know that, but to expect them to both maintain consistent fantasy value for the rest of the season i don't think is crazy at all i i I don't think that they'll be like you know full-time starters like you know you'll be benching some of your best players for them necessarily but as as bench outfielders or fourth or fifth guys who you start semi-regularly uh in in shallower formats and in deeper leagues as guys that you you play on a consistent basis i'd be i'd be thrilled to have been able to snag both these guys if you're able to get them for cheap or free on the waiver wire, because I think there's, there's reason to believe that both of them will be, uh, will be, will be nice fantasy assets for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, you're going to need someone to fill in uh, when Mookie yep. Betts takes uh, one of his five uh, weekly yeah. uh, rest days yep. because the Dodgers know that they are just going to win the world series again. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I have Mookie Betts everywhere and it is killing me. And then he was actually <laughs> injured. And I was like, is he actually injured? Is he watching the masters? What are we, what are we talking about here? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Having him uh, in TGFBI is so hard because you just know that there's just one or two games. He's just not going to play, but you can't bench him. So you're just, you're just stuck with him. Yep. You're, you're stuck with Mookie Betts. It's tragic. This what, what a hard life. It's just so, t- it's so terrible, Andy. It's just terrible. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, it has come to the part of the podcast where we're going to play a little prospect survivor and then we're going to call the night. Are you all ready? Right. Yes. This is prospect survivor. First year player draft pitcher edition. I'm going to give you three names. You can only, you got to vote someone off. You mm-hmm. know the deal. You've been here before. All right, here yep. we go. 
And this is a little bit of uh, maybe some organizational juice. We'll see where you're at. Okay. I got starting number one, Nick Swiney, taken this year by the San Francisco Giants. Yep. I have Tanner Burns, taken this year by the Cleveland baseball team. And then I have Slade Ciccone, who by far has the best name of all these guys. <laughs> and he is with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So of those three guys, all of which had very lovely college careers, who are you voting off the island, sir? Yeah. Okay. So this is a tough one. Um, not that I expected you to give me an easy one. You shouldn't. Um, I'll admit wholeheartedly to knowing less about Swiney than the other two, uh, just for whatever reason, he just wasn't a guy that was super on my radar. Uh, and then when San Francisco picked him, I didn't think too much of him. Uh, but I know that he, I, mean, I know he was a North Carolina state guy. Uh, I know that he didn't throw super hard, uh, in college, I remember that that was his fastball wasn't exactly his thing, but he was more of a command guy, off speed pitch type of guy. Um, San Francisco does a decent job of developing guys like this. Like this is a guy that I would like love to see in Seattle. Like I think um, yeah. if it, you know he's 88, 90, something like that. Uh, maybe a little harder than that, maybe 92, 93, but Seattle, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at his numbers now, he's 6'3", so like, yeah, Seattle could probably get this guy throwing 98, 99, and maybe San Francisco will too, but I'm inclined to vote him off, and it's partly because I really like the other guys a lot. Burns is definitely one of the guys that I've always been really into, and I was thrilled when Cleveland got him because I think they're an organization that develops pitching extremely well. We know that um, we didn't touch on it a ton in this episode, but I could probably give you a whole nother episode about that uh, some other time. Um, and I think he's just a guy who's, who I think he's just going to be a bulldog. I think there's, there's a, some bullpen risk there, obviously with any not top tier pitching prospect there always is, but uh, I think he's going to be a good major leaguer regardless. And Ciccone is a guy that I, I really liked coming out of the draft as well. Um, again, Arizona's, pitching development is not as certainly not as good as Cleveland's and not as well established, but uh, I still like what they've been doing. And I like enough about who Ciccone is that I, I'm feel pretty confident there. So I'm going to say Swiney, uh, even though I think he, it's maybe more of just a lack of information about him in general. Um, but I'm not as confident in what San Francisco does. And unless I feel like a, a team is really capable of adding velocity, a guy with a 40 grade fastball, doesn't excite me quite as much if I'm having to pick between, you know, these three guys. Yeah, no, that, that's all fair. I, uh, I, I probably would have to keep Swiney in just because of his, you know, the four games he pitched in, in the shortened 2020 season where he showed off some pretty excellent yeah. at the very least control and he was missing a few more bats. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's just kind of the profile that I like. And, you know, he, he played in a decent conference. The ACC is solid and, sure. and the strikeouts were there. So, I, I guess it would have been, I would have loved, as I can say, every time for every player, I would have loved to see that full 2020 season when he got mm -hmm. a conference play and was really able to, to, to test his medal against some of the other ACC teams. But that sort of that, you know, that 1.9 walk to nine that he showed in the beginning yeah. of the 2020 season, that's going to keep me in. Uh, and then, you know, Tanner Burns, I totally agree. Love him in the best organization possible for his profile. Can't say enough good things you know, go get him. Definitely take him. I, I have him as many first year player drafts as I could this year. Mm -hmm. For me, for me, the guy that I'm probably voting off is Slade Ciccone. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I'm voting him off is just the stuff is clearly there. You yeah. know, he, uh, he, he definitely has, um, uh, I believe it's a fastball and a slider combination that both grade out well above average. Mm -hmm. 
the issue with him is the knock on him anyway, is that he might have issues going deeper into games and that he's not, you know, exhibiting as much control as the other two pitchers on this threesome are. So those to me, if there was one of those things, and I, I don't, you know, I just, I can't really remember too many pitchers in the recent memory that Arizona has done an amazing job with. And I feel like, I guess maybe you could say Zach Allen, but a lot of that cooking that sort of came half baked already from Miami. And, you know, I don't know, Zach Allen also looks like he just knows what he's about. Oh, he was Mm -hmm. back today and looking fresh. Yes, he was. The hair was flowing. The glasses were on the strikeouts were falling. It was oh so good to watch him pitch and throw all his breakers. Anyway, I'm getting off track. My guy, uh, my guy, I think that I would vote out is Sacconi just because I do sort of worry like, yeah, maybe he's going to turn into one of those two, three inning relievers types of guys because he has the power stuff, but he can't put it together for four five, six innings. And I don't love Arizona's organization. I agree with you on San Francisco. It's sort of in the middle. I don't want to say it's bad. I don't want to say it's good. Um, when it comes to, you know, recent memory of, of development for their, for their pitching prospects, but I don't know, uh, Arizona, I guess I just don't trust Arizona as much. And then there's already sort of that weird red flag stuff. So for me, it would be Sacconi, but I think Swiney is totally a reasonable answer. And yeah, Burns is not going anywhere because he just looks like he's going to be another one of those Cleveland guys um, that just gets every single ounce of potential out of everything he does. So yeah, that's uh, that is prospect survivor this week. (laughs) Well, uh, it has been a good night of prospects, sir. And um I, well, so you got the Drew Rasmussen deep dive coming out. You got anything else you're working on anywhere else that we should want to plug? Yeah, I do the the weekly stash articles. Uh, they come out on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Saturdays is a weekly article on the 10 hitting prospects to stash. Uh, and then Sunday is the 10 pitching prospects to stash. These are geared more towards redraft leagues, uh, which is a little bit counterintuitive to being the dynasty guy. But uh, so like, you know, talking about like Davey Garcia versus Logan Gilbert versus Matt Manning, like, Yes, some of those guys might have a little bit more pizzazz and a little bit more excitement, but like, do you want to roster them now or do you want to try to wait on a guy like Garcia? So I kind of try to break down uh, each week, like a list of the pitching prospects who aren't in the big leagues and hitting prospects who maybe are worth stashing. So you can check those out on the weekends also at Pitcher List and uh, got some more fun um, prospects that I'm identifying to write about uh, for the deep dive as well. Uh, and then, like I said at the beginning, once the once the minor league season starts, I'm really excited to to start writing about guys that, at, as of right now, I've probably never even heard of, <laughs> and that, that's what uh, that's what makes this so fun. Absolutely, I cannot wait to watch that minor league baseball TV, do some scouting from the armchair, uh, and uh, yep. check out some guys that we have not seen in a very, very, very long time. Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well. On that note, we will call it. Uh, you can catch Andy on Twitter at Andy Padden PNW, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. You can catch me on Twitter at Caught Looking with a V instead of a U. Hit me up there if you want me to talk about anything specifically on the pod. You want me to look into a player for you? You want to have the Dynasty team look into a player for you? You got Dynasty questions? Hit me up. I'm very available and happy to answer with whatever knowledge I have. Let's not remember that I've already made catastrophic mistakes this year. <laughs> I won't do that to you. That's just my own psychosis. And, uh, and yeah, you can catch the pod at on the farm PL. You can catch all the pictureless pods at pictureless pods. And we got a bunch going on. I'm going to take this moment in time to remind everyone that, uh, I beat dugout study hall eight to one in the pictureless podcast network <laughs> league this week. No, thanks to Trevor Huth who did nothing but sleep. And, um, yeah, uh, sort of with that, we will, we will close it out, man. Thanks for coming on tonight, Andy. I had a blast. 
Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. I always appreciate it. Absolutely. And goodbye, world. <laughs>